following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines. I'm Coach Larry. Uh, today, it's Coach Larry and Coach Larry. No Matt Keogh today, so and no guest. weren't able to get a guest, so we're flying solo for this episode. We're going to talk a little bit about confidence. We're going to talk a little bit about Cinderella stories, especially with the NCAA pressure of playing from in front and a couple other topics but first as always we're gonna start the segment with our coming in hot now for those of you don't know we've done a bunch of coming in hot episodes i've had some coming in hot uh, stories about my dogs bailey and bella we've also had some coming in hot about me and backing in parking i believe that was the first coming in hot episode where we talked about I don't like when people back in and park. Still no need for it. Just pull in front. Don't waste people's times, especially when you've got a couple people waiting for you to move. But today I am coming in hot about the NCAA tournament and how much fun filling out that bracket is. Of course, like always, every year, my bracket usually gets busted, totally busted, by the end of the Elite Eight, and this year is no different. My bracket is gone. Gonzaga, of course, out. Um, I did have Duke making the Final Four, but that was about it. Um, Kentucky didn't helped matters when they lost in the opening round to St. Peter's. So it was a tough bracket from the beginning, but I still just love the NCAA tournament every year. And it seems to be coming more and more every year where you're getting those Cinderella stories. Now you're getting the couple years ago, it was Virginia losing as the number one seed in the opening round. You're getting the 16s beating the number ones. The 15, we had it again this year with St. Peter's beating Kentucky, the 15 versus the two. Um, It's the Cinderella stories are happening more and more and more every time. I mean, now you've got um, UNC as the eight seed, which it's kind of of interesting saying that UNC, uh, North Carolina, is that Cinderella story, but I guess... Is an eighth seed a Cinderella story? I, I guess. I mean, they're the, they're the lowest seed in the final four, as you got. Uh, and I think that's going to be a fantastic matchup. Duke versus UNC. Coach K, he's he's on his way to writing a Duke uh, storybook conclusion to his illustrious college coaching career. He'll get one more crack at UNC in the final four. But it was... You, you got a lot of different stories. I mean, you had um, some 11 seeds, some 10 seeds, a 15 seed in the Elite Eight. It's, I love it. It's what college sports, it's what sports is all about. 
doesn't matter if you are the number one seed coming in, the number 16 seed, doesn't matter in what sport, if you make the playoffs, as long as you make that dance, as long as you are in it, you can win it. We've seen it in sports at other times. We've seen, I believe, the Pittsburgh Steelers um, won the Super Bowl as the wild card. We've seen a couple wild card teams win the Super Bowl um, as the sixth seed. Haven't seen the new seventh seed win it yet. But all you got to do for that regular season, just get in. Get into the postseason, and anything can happen. So I'm coming in hot. I love the NCAA tournament, um, and it's it's just awesome. The first round especially with the, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, you know who's going to win. No, you don't. You see upsets all the time. So I love it. And maybe just the part of filling out the brackets and talking about the brackets. Oh, my bracket's busted. My bracket's busted. That's the beauty of the tournament. You could you look like a you look like a superstar uh, picker when you and you that you know everything about sports when you pick the underdogs, but then when you pick the underdog and they don't win, you're you look well. It was a long shot and you lost. So I was coming in hot with the NCAA tournament. I love it. March Madness. Give me more. I wish a lot more sports. I know you got the Frozen Four with hockey, but it just nothing compares to that NCAA tournament. It's awesome. All right. So today's topic, we're going to talk a little bit about playing with confidence or just confidence in general, coaching with confidence, playing with confidence. And the first thing I want to talk about a little bit to hit on with the St. Peter's um, is playing with as an underdog. Do you have less pressure as an underdog coming into a tournament, whether it's the NCAAs, whether it's the Stanley Cup Finals, um, the NFL playoffs, whatever? If you are an underdog coming into the playoffs, do you have less pressure on you or more I think in a lot of ways you have less pressure I think you can come in and I know I've been a part of teams where we've gone in the sectional playoffs both as a player and as a coach where hey we're in the playoffs we didn't expect it at the beginning of the year to make the playoffs let's go in and we've got nothing to lose let's play we're playing the top seed the second seed the third seed whatever We're on the road. We're at the other team's place. Let's go in there and let's give them everything we got. Let's leave it all out on the field. You play loose. You play ready. You can play more aggressive. You can play a different style of game. Again, with sports, most times the better team is going to win. Most times talent is going to win out. But especially in soccer, hockey, if you can get a quick goal, if you can get that first, even in baseball, if you can get that first run, if you can get maybe a one, two, three inning in baseball, if you can shut that team down on that opening drive in football or score a quick strike on your opening drive. And as the underdog, if you can get into that favorite's head, even just a little bit, you got a chance. Even if you can just spark something, create that snowball effect. 
let a one-goal lead turn into a two-goal lead to a three-goal lead. Start hitting big. Play above your talent. I'm telling you, that's when you can really play with the pressure off and you can see a lot of good things that can happen. As opposed to we're playing with the as the favorite, sometimes that pressure can crumble. We've seen it happen in the NFL this year when it was the AFC Championship game, Chiefs versus Bengals. Chiefs came in as a pretty big favorite. I think the betting favorite, I believe they were a four, five, six point um, favorite. I'm not going to lie myself. I wasn't expecting it to be much of a game. And the first half, it looked like it was going to be that way. But next thing you know, Cincinnati hung around. Cincinnati hung around. Cincinnati started to dominate. Cincinnati took over. Cincinnati took the lead. Cincinnati took the game home. And it all was just a spark. And the Bengals, how many times, even getting in, I think they were an underdog. But if you look at just the confidence, the swagger that Joe Burrow had, the confidence that their kicker, Evan McPherson, had, going out and kicking those game winners. Coach, we're going to the Super Bowl before he even makes the kick. Coach, I'm going to kick us into the AFC Championship game. Just the confidence to have, and especially in a position like a kicker where you can go from you're either hero or you're you're nothing. You're the hero or the villain very quickly. It's all or nothing as a kicker. And to have that confidence every single time going out and kicking that ball in that game It makes a world of difference. And your teammates get sparked on it quickly. And it there's when you're an underdog, you're feeding off of something. You just need that moment. But as a favorite, on the other hand, things start tightening up when you're losing to a team that you really shouldn't be losing to, or when that team you should be putting away this team, you know in the back of your mind you should be up by two, three, four, five scores and you're only up by one or it's tied or you're going into the second half down by field goal or in a soccer game where you're going into the halftime, in the halftime, tied like Italy and Northern Macedonia. And I don't know how they lost that game We're going to talk more about that later, as painful as it is. But Italy losing to northern Macedonia in the the qualifier tournament to get into the World Cup, the last chance qualifier for the World Cup, and they lose 1-0. And I think it was extra time, the second or third minute, so the 92nd, 93rd, 94th minute of the game, how do you lose that? You go from being the European champions and you are, for the second straight World Cup, not qualified. You're out. Before the tournament even starts, you don't make it into the tournament. And again, against a team that you were, to to put it in betting perspective, if you had put on Northern Macedonia to win that game. You were getting 
I believe it was you were getting over $1,000 on a $50 bet. They were huge underdogs. Italy dominated. I don't know if you know about soccer games. If you get, you know, 10, 15 shots towards the net, because in soccer they count it, shots towards the net and shots on target. Shots towards the net, you can usually average in a good soccer game 10, 15 shots, maybe 20 shots towards the net. Italy put on 34 shots towards the net. They hit the target, I believe it was eight times, so they hit the net eight, nine times. So Northern Macedonia did a good job of keeping them out. On the flip side, Northern Macedonia, four shots on towards the net, only two on target. One of them went in the back of the net. They win the game one nothing. They go on to play Portugal in the next game. Italy goes home crying again. And it was just a frustrating game to watch. Again, we've all been a part of those where we see you talk about, well, the better team, the other team dominated. They dominated. They just couldn't find a way to win. They just couldn't find a way. The other, the uh, underdog, Northern Macedonia, just they kept staying around. They kept staying around. They kept battling. They kept battling. They kept staying around. Next thing you know, they put one in the back of the net. That's all it takes. They win. We've seen that happen in a lot of sports. As a coach, you preach that to your players. You cannot let a team like this hang around. And there's those are some of the worst losses that you will ever have. I remember one of my first years playing when I was coaching at the park school. We had a, a team where we just, we were the better team. It was Niagara Catholic. We were playing them. We knew we were the better team. We had we went into that year with I think we were either three and zero or four and one to start the season. Came in against North uh, Niagara Catholic, who was I believe one and four, one and three. Halftime, zero zero, dominated the first half. Shot after shot, missed opportunity after missed opportunity, over the net, missed cross here, missed pass here. Back of your mind, you're like, all right, let's just keep the pressure up, keep the pressure up, keep the pressure up. Shots are going to come. We're going to bury our chances. You get into the second half. They score a quick one to start the second half. They're up one nothing within the first, I think it was two, three minutes of the game. They scored to go up one nothing. Next thing you know, you start tightening up. You start pressuring. As a coach, you start pressuring a little bit. You get out of your game plan a little bit. You're 15 minutes in. You're 20 minutes in. You're 30 minutes into the second half. You're still down one nothing. You keep pressuring. You keep pressuring. We sent everybody up top. Next thing you know, they popped another. They cleared a pass. One of their forwards were able to get by our defenders who was pressing. They pop a second one in, 2 nothing. And that's game. They end up winning 2 nothing. We lose to a team that we shouldn't have lost to. Later on, it, it cost us a playoff spot where we were in the playoffs, but instead of going in as the fourth seed, we went in as the fifth seed, so we had to play the fourth seed at their place instead of having a home, having a home game, and we lost on one nothing game. You can look at it with Bills and Buffalo and Jacksonville this year. 
or Buffalo and Tennessee were just a few things. Buffalo and Jacksonville, huge. I don't even know. Was it a 10, 12-point favorite that they were favored by? And they, you're watching the game. All right, let's turn it on. Let's, and nothing. He couldn't get it going. Nothing. And it was. it's just one of those, as the favorites, you start tightening up. You start, as in hockey, you start gripping your stick. And you, you lose confidence in yourself. You start questioning what's going on. What are they showing that we can't give? How are we not prepared? And the more you start questioning yourself in sports, the worse it's going to be. We've also talked, that leads a little bit to coaching as coaches. Sometimes if you get outside of your comfort zone, especially younger coaches, you, that's when you kind of figure out how are you going to handle these situations as a younger coach? How are you going to handle these um, late game situations? How are you going to handle these situations where you're either in a game that you're not supposed to be in? You're beating a favorite. How are you going to take that game home? You're losing to a team that you should. How are you going to rally your troops? In soccer, it's a little different where basketball, hockey, you can call a timeout. You can kind of bring everybody over to the side. Soccer, you don't have those timeouts. You can sub people in. You can sub your sub a player in, talk to them real quick, get them back out on the field. But you don't have, at halftime, you have that that pep talk. But that's about it. So it's a little different on the soccer end. But you've got to be able to know as a coach how you can handle those situations. <clears throat> and I know for myself, it took a while to figure out how to handle those situations. It really took a while to figure out how to coach ahead, how to coach behind. You have to, and sometimes the only way to learn in those situations is by going through them, by making mistakes. You hope that you can learn by not costing yourself too many games, but I'd be lying if I said that I didn't lose some of these games because I didn't know how to coach in those situations. A game that really comes to mind, it was, I believe, uh, second or third year at Kenmore Middle. Second year, Kenmore Middle. We had a pretty good team. We were up in a game against NT. Again, this was early on in my coaching career. Up in a game against NT, who always had a very a very, a very good program. I was working with a modified team, the modified boys team at Kenmore Middle. We were still a team that were we were finding ways to win. We were finding, learning how to win. Um, it was the second time we were playing NT. The first time we played them in the season, we lost five nothing. They were a much better team than we were that year. Second time coming around playing them, we were able to pop in an early goal. They scored to tie it. We and again went into the lead two to one. Kept that lead all the way until the last minute where we started scrambling in the last 10. We started pressure. We started letting the pressure of NT get to us. They were bringing us in our zone. We started, we got away from ball possession for the last 10 minutes. It turned into just dump. 
Just get it out. Just clear. Just dump and chase. And for anybody who's played soccer, that is a terrible strategy. And we we just panicked. I myself personally panicked as a coach. And even I remember starting yelling, just clear it, clear it, clear it. And sure enough, NT kept coming. NT kept coming. They popped in a goal to tie it and ended up winning it in overtime. It's one of those games that you have to learn how to finish. And it was a big learning point for our team and myself. We had to learn how to finish. And it was a team where, thankfully, that year, we had a lot of 7th graders. Now, for mod- for those of you who don't know modified sports, you're dealing with 7th and 8th graders. It's just middle school sports. So that year, we had, I only had about 2 or 3 8th graders. So we were a very young team. We had a lot of 7th graders. The next year... We had a very, very strong team. Eighth grade heavy, a lot of good seventh graders that came out for the team that as well. But we had a lot of returning eighth graders. We used those lessons that we learned from the year before, like the NT game and a couple other games, where we went on a great tear. We started off the season winning the first six in a row. Six and oh going up against Luport at their place, 6-0. and Two undefeated teams, and Luport, for those of you who don't know, is a very, very, very solid soccer program. Both guys and girls, one of the best programs consistently in Section 6 in Western New York. They are a very solid program from top to bottom. Coaches, players, they are they're top dogs for a reason. They build a very, very solid program. My hat goes off to them. I tip my hat to them. We go into the game 6-0 and against them, 6-0. and We get a, to this day, I still say it was a bad call in the box. Luport converts on a penalty shot. That was, the, that was it. We could not find the back of the net. They played tough defense. We played tough defense. Goaltenders made some big saves. We lose one nothing. It stinks. It it truly does. I this again was six seven years ago, and I still think about it to this day from time to time. But thankfully, that was only the first time we played them in our modified division. We play each team twice. We had them at our place. In three weeks, we knew they were the second to the last game of the year. We knew that it was going to be at our field. And from there on out, it was every practice, every game. Let's get ready for Luport. Let's get ready for Luport. Let's get ready for Luport. We practiced against the formation that they were running. We played the formation that we were going to run against Luport against other teams. We, I remember the next game that we won, we played, um, we played NT that year. 
We destroyed NT 5 6 nothing. Nobody was, none of my guys were excited. Everybody was like, Coach, we're ready for Luport. We want to get ready for Luport. We're, we can't do that against Luport. It was, and this wasn't me telling the players. This was the players telling me. This was the players telling self, you know what? If we play defense like that against Luport, they're going to score. If we don't finish our chance, yeah, we won 6 nothing, but we didn't miss a cross over there that could cost us Luport game. We were so laser-focused against Luport. By the time that they got there, we hadn't lost a game. They hadn't lost a game. We still came in with that one loss against Luport. So they were undefeated. We had that one loss. We were so fired up. We were so ready. We were so confident. We were so laser-focused. In the huddle, I didn't have to say a single word. I called the guys in. It was, you know what to do. There was no fiery pep talk. There was no, this is the game we're waiting for. Everybody was dialed in. It was just one, two, three, let's go. It was get on the field. We crushed them 5 nothing. We buried them from the start of the game to the end of the game. I don't think I've ever coached a more complete game than those kids played for me. And even at halftime, we were up 3 nothing. And the instant message was, Let's not pull an NT like we did last year. Let's finish. Let's not sit back. They're going to come out. They're going to give us all they got. Let's finish this game. And we scored two more and just made sure that we kept our foot on the gas. And we finished. And it was one of those. We had one more game in the season. We finished that off. We finished with an 11-1 record. Luport finished with an 11-1 record. Since they beat us by one, we beat them by five. We were declared the unofficial modified champion that league that year for the NFL. It was outstanding. And it's just one of those lessons where I think if we had, if a lot of the seventh graders on our team weren't there, who knows if we win that game? Who knows if we know how to finish that game when we're up 2 3 nothing? Who knows if we don't fall back and at the defensive shell and let them come back and, and win? So you can learn a lot from a loss, but also you've got to have that confidence on how to finish. And I think sometimes that's how comebacks start. It's called a snowball effect. You get up 3 4 nothing, And we saw it the other night um, when the Sabres, we're playing the Blackhawks. Blackhawks go up 3-0 in the first. They score another one in the second to make it 4-0. Next thing you know, Sabres score one. Sabres score another. Sabres score another. They score another one to tie it in the fourth. Blackhawks come back to make it 5-4. Sabres tie it again to make it 5-5. Finish it off in regulation to make it 6-5. It's just a snowball effect. It can be a snowball effect good when you score early and often. It can keep coming and coming and coming. Or if you're ahead, next thing you know, uh-oh, well, it's only one. Uh-oh, well, it's only two. Okay, it's three. Let's, 
All right, it's now we're tied. Let's you can panic. Panic can set in very, very quickly. So it's it can go good or bad. That snowball effect, it can next thing you know, the they always say the first goal is the hardest to get. Once you get that first goal, the floodgates, what's that they say? The floodgates open up. A lot of times that it that's what happens. You gain that confidence, and next thing you know, everything just starts going into the net. Or every you start making every catch, every pass starts going and being connected. So it's it's great. Um talked a little bit about coaches that coach outside of their comfort zone or sometimes they're over their head. And I think I talked about this a little bit where one of my first jobs was coaching jobs at the high school level was coaching girls swimming and diving. Talk about coaching in a sport that you know nothing about. I knew absolutely nothing about girls swimming and diving. And I was way over my head. I told the story where I literally, the day after I found out I got the job, and I got the job because I was the lifeguard at the school right out of college. They needed a coach. So I was basically given the job, even though I told them I had zero experience with with swimming and diving so i became the girls diving coach ran to the library grabbed every book i could about swimming and diving read it went on google this was early 2000s so went on the internet found everything that i could about swimming and diving and i coached swimming and diving and I think the girls realized I was in over my head when at a practice they asked if I could show them a dive and I proceeded to go on the board. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I thought all of a sudden I can do this. I'm going to turn into a world-class diver. Yeah, I can do an inverted dive. No problem. I can hold a pike. And I proceeded to do a belly flop off the board. <laughs> and it the girls really quickly knew that I was in over my head. But you know what? By the end of the season, we ended up having um, <clears throat> a sectional qualifier. And we won a couple diving meets or got some diving points, some first and seconds in our school meets. So sometimes going in over your head, sometimes even the kids know, your athletes know that you're in over your head. But if you can still relate, if you can still instill that confidence in them. We had all first-year divers. The school had not had a diving team in the last three seasons, I believe it was. So they really were pushing to get that diving program back on track or just get it, you know, arisen from the dead. So the girls were coming in fresh, and I was coming in fresh. <laughs> really fresh. So it was something just instilling that confidence in those kids, I think went a long way. And one of the biggest Cinderella stories, I think that we can talk about with confidence was the U S men's hockey team way back in 1980, my birth year, 
But way back in 1980, that Miracle on Ice team, where you talk about having confidence, needing confidence, not only did you need confidence to beat the Soviets, but I think going in, I read going in, they were expected to finish eighth or ninth. They weren't expected to be anywhere near the medal rounds, anywhere near the medal games. But I think Coach Brooks, Herb Brooks, really instilled that confidence. He instilled it a little bit through fear and through mind games, but he let them know that they were going to work so hard during practices, so hard they were going to have the hardest schedule of their life that by the time that they got to games, by the time that they got to the Olympics, there was going to be no way that they were going to be stopped. They were going to be ready for anything that came their way. And again, this is from me watching the Miracle on Ice movie. If you remember, they had that exhibition against the Russians. I think it was a week before they were leaving for Lake Placid, and they got embarrassed. 6-7-1-8-1, something like that. They got destroyed. So talk about a team that going in, you just spent six, seven, eight months training for these Olympic Games as a team, and now you just, a week before, you just got destroyed by the gold medal favorite, a team that you have to play in these games. Talk about a, a big hit on your confidence that could have been catastrophic, but could have been the best thing for them. They learned from it. Could have been the best thing because as important as, important as confidence is, having confidence, you do get to the point where you could cross that line into overconfidence, being overconfident. And how many times have we seen an overconfident team lose an overconfident athlete lose because they're so convinced that they're going to walk through their opponent. They can't be touched. We've seen it happen a lot of time in boxing, whether it's been in MMA and Conor McGregor losing fights, Ronda Rousey, when she lost to Holly Holmes as a big favorite as the champion undefeated and got, destroyed in her bout and Holly Holmes won the champion we see going taking it way back to when Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas yes Buster Douglas Tyson went in as a huge favorite and James Buster Douglas beat Iron Mike like controlled the whole fight made Mike Tyson, arguably one of the greatest heavyweights, a man that I would still run in fear from to this day, and me just beat him. A guy that nobody thought had a chance against Tyson and was able to take him down. And part of it was the rep that Tyson was, he was overconfident. Maybe didn't train as hard as he needed to. Maybe was distracted by outside interference. Maybe had, you know, members of his camp and training members who were, weren't pushing him as hard as he needed to be pushed. And 
It costs you. And unfortunately, in individual events like tennis, like boxing, like MMA, wrestling, when you get out in that arena, it's just you. It's just you out there. You have your coaches yelling at you from the corner. You have your, your, your coaches and trainers yelling you instructions from time to time with other fans out there. But it's just you. And if you go in too confident, there's that fine line between confidence and overconfidence. And if you cross that line into overconfidence, a lot of times you can get a good dose of reality. You can get smacked pretty quickly. So it is, and as a coach, you want to make sure that your team is confident but not overconfident. You want to be the guy that at times has to bring your team back to reality a little bit, has to remind your team that it doesn't matter if you're playing an undefeated team or a team that hasn't won. You have to be able to keep your team on track and focused. Look at what happened to the look at what happened to the New England Patriots in the in Super Bowl 42. 18 and 0. 18 and 0 going into the Super Bowl. You are a big favorite against the New York Giants who snuck into the playoffs. You go into that game, and again, who knows if they were overconfident, too over, too cocky, whatever. You lose 19-17 to 17 to a team that you should have beaten. And a team, I think it was the last game of the year or second to last game of the year, very late in that season, who almost beat you in the regular season. So I don't know why you would even be overconfident. But you end up losing to a team and your legacy, not only a chance to go undefeated, with, to go in with only one other, the 72 Dolphins, only one other team in the history of the league to go undefeated and win the Super Bowl, but you're 18-1 and one and you are not a champion. 18-1 and one and you are not the best team that year. And some people, well, they were the best team. They were, no, if you don't win the title, if you, in any sport, if you are not hosting, hoisting the championship trophy at the end of the season, you're not the best team. And we can go a little bit back to the Golden State Warriors when uh, Cleveland Cavaliers came back to beat them. Golden State had the most wins. Had the you know were on a record pace season. They lost everybody. Oh, they're the best team. They're better than the Bulls teams of Jordan. They're the best. They were not NBA champions that year. You lose. You lose. Nobody remembers second place. You lose. You lost. Unless you're the champion. Unless you win the last game you play in that season. You've lost. And it's a hard dose of reality for some teams to think about, but as, unless you win the last game of the season, you are not the best team that year. I don't care what your regular season is. 
I don't care if you made it, and we've seen some teams make the NFL playoffs with a losing record. If you get hot in the playoffs and if you win, whether it's through the wild card, if you go all the way through to the Super Bowl and win, you're the champions. You're the best team that year. Not, oh, they were a mediocre team, but they got hot. Doesn't matter. They have the championship. They have the Lombardi Trophy. They're the best. Doesn't matter. The Giants might have snuck into the playoffs, might have had to catch get a hot streak at the end to get in, but they were the champions of that 2007 season. They were the best team. <laughs> it's I'm sorry, it's measured by championships. So I had I had to bring that up is just it anytime I can put down the Patriots, anytime I can say the Patriots aren't the best, I'm gonna I'm gonna relish in it. And that's another thing, and I'm gonna come in hot a little bit, uh, a mid season or a mid episode coming in hot segment. I'm so happy that the Patriots are really going back to irrelevant. They're going back to normalcy. It's going back to where nobody wants to play in New England. Nobody cares about New England. They had their 20 years of dominance. Don't get me wrong. They had the best quarterback. They they had a run where who knows if we will ever see a 20-year a period of a team that does what the New England Patriots did. Super Bowl titles, AFC championships, AFC East championships, almost going perfect. I don't, I'm not sure we will ever see a team as that have a run of titles or just a almost two decades worth of dominance as they did. I don't know if we'll ever see that again. Hopefully Josh Allen will give us 20 years of dominance and we can have some titles and I think one's coming soon. But the fact that they went 18 and one and lost the Super Bowl still makes me laugh. And the fact now that Tom Brady is gone and there are some people out there that are predicting the Patriots again to miss the playoffs, to take a step back. They're predicting them that they could finish third in a division behind the Miami Dolphins, it just puts such a smile, such a smile on my face. And I love it. I love talking about the fact that the Patriots are back to being irrelevant. They were irrelevant before Tom Brady got there. They're irrelevant now. And hopefully they are going to be irrelevant for a long, long time. So that's my second coming in hot segment. Man, I love it. (laughs) I love it. But speaking of other Cinderella's, I'm going to talk, we're going to, we'll finish here before we get into my hot seat segment or my uh, hot seat segment where I had um, my wife, Vicky, and my daughter, Sarah, and some of my athletes came up with some questions where they were either text or wrote them to me at practice. So I'm going to kind of pick a few by random. I haven't looked at them yet. So I'm going to pick a few at random 
And that way it'll, it'll still be a little bit of a hot seat question for myself. So we'll do that at the end. But I'm going to go through, and you guys, again, on our website uh, at Stories from, or on, our, on Facebook at Stories from the Sidelines or on Twitter at Stories from the Sidelines, you can let me know if you, how you think you would rate your top four Cinderella teams. But here's how I'm going to rate my top four Cinderella teams. And this was an oldie but a goodie, but I'm going to go with number four. I'm going to say the 69 Jets and that Super Bowl three where Nate, Joe Namath, um, Hollywood Joe, he guarantees Super Bowl victory in Super Bowl three, guarantees that he's going to beat the Baltimore Colts, and he does. They pull out the victory over the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl three in 1969. I think that was that's going to be my number four Cinderella team. The number three one and the one I just talked a little bit about, the Giants beating the 18-0, 18-1 after that game. Uh, New England Patriots in Super Bowl 42. It still, it still makes me laugh. still brings a smile to my face. So I'm saying that's number three, Cinderella. Could be number three or number two, but I'm going to put the number, number two one ahead of it. Uh, the 99 Rams, where the, it's the first year of court, Kurt Warner. First year, and again, the year before that, the Rams went 4-12 and 12 on the season. So nobody expected really much from the Rams. I know they went out and got Marshall Falk that year, but you have Trent Green, who was supposed to be the starter going into the season, and he gets hurt in the preseason. So your quarter, your starting quarterback goes down. You're on your backup who nobody knows, Kurt Warner. I mean, he was a journeyman. He was a nobody. Played in the uh, played in the Arena Football League a little bit. Bagging groceries. So you have a backup, a, a no-name backup, not a no-name quarterback, a no-name backup. He wasn't even he wasn't even a a named backup. Nobody knew where this guy came from, and to take a team in the '99 Rams and win the Super Bowl, I thought was outstanding. One of the greatest, I think the second greatest Cinderella story. So as much as I want to put the Patriot, the Giants win over the Patriots ahead of that, I still think this one's number two. And my number one is the U.S. men's hockey team. Do you believe in miracles? 1980, when they beat the Soviets in the quarterfinal or the semifinal game, they still had to beat um, the Swedes in the next round in the gold medal game. But... Just the excitement, just the atmosphere, and no, I wasn't around for that game. I was born later in 1980 in October, but just watching the game, um, tapes of the game, watching it, the whole game, not the Miracle on Ice game, but watching games on YouTube. If you haven't watched it yet and you're a hockey fan, it is so much fun to watch. But watching those games, the excitement, and you know it's a great sporting event when you already know the outcome and you've known the outcome for a long time and you still are invested in the game and you're still excited in that game and you still feel the emotions. And when I, when I watched the game on YouTube, the entire game, and if you, you YouTube it, you can find it. It's just you know what's going to happen. You know when they're going to score, but you're still, it's just like, oh, man, you're, you're still, it's like watching a live sporting event. 
and it was so much fun. And again, it was so unexpected. And to me, I thought the Cinderella, the ultimate Cinderella story, that U.S. men's hockey team, Cinderella story in sports. So those are my four. Again, number four was the 69 Jets. Joe Namath guaranteeing the Jets Super Bowl victory in Super Bowl three. The Giants winning Super Bowl 42, beating the 18-0 New England Patriots is number three. The 99 Rams winning their Super Bowl. Kurt Warner's first year. Uh, Trent Green goes down preseason. Warner takes over. And that was number two. And the number one U.S. men's hockey team in the 1980 Miracle on Ice Olympic gold medal team. Those are my Cinderella stories. Let me know what you think on our on our Facebook page and on Twitter. Let me know if you think I'm right, you think I'm wrong, you think I'm crazy. Put your comments in there. Put your teams on our comment page. I'd love to hear them, and we'll talk about them a little bit. Maybe next week we'll bring them up. And if you put your name on there, maybe we'll mention some of those. All right. It's time for our hot seat question. And I'm the only one here. So like I said, I asked my stepdaughter and I asked my wife, Vicki, my stepdaughter, Sarah, to come up with some questions, to give me a couple questions for my hot seat questions. I also asked some of my athletes um, if they could give me some questions. I haven't looked at these. I swear. So we're going to go, we're going to pick one from my athletes. So let's see. I had some of them name it up. We'll do a little, let's see. Let's, let's shake them up there. See what ones come up with. All right. <laughs> okay. This is a good one. And this one comes from Jess Newbert, one of my throwers hopefully qualifying for disc. Hopefully he's going to be a hundred and hundred plus discus thrower this year. Not hopefully. I know she will. She's going to be in the hundred feet discus thrower this year. Jess asks, what was your most embarrassing moment as a player, as an athlete in sports? And I think, I can't remember if I told this story or not on the, air or on the podcast, but one of my most embarrassing moments in soccer, it was a game that we were up or no, we were, it was zero, zero. It was a game, uh, not a, not a high school game, but a, uh, house league game. I think I was nine or 10 years old. If I remember house league game, um, I was on the Adams uh, we were playing against the Sounders, a very good team, the Adams and the Sounders, I know. But uh, it was 0-0. Ball gets kicked to me in my own end, bounces off my foot, of course, as I tried to clear, goes back into our own net. I score an own goal. We end up losing the game 2-1. to one. That was pretty embarrassing. So I'm going to go with that being an own goal as an eight, nine, ten year old. I think it was nine, nine or ten year old scoring an own goal. Um, I think I definitely I think mom had to give me some ice cream to cheer me up. So that I'm saying is is my most embarrassing moment, at least that I can think of offhand. So Jess, if you're listening, 
that's and it, I I know she'll I know if she listens to the podcast, she'll uh, let me know at practice. But that's embarrassing moment that I can think of for question number one on the hot seat question. So let's go to I'm going to read a text. So I'm going to go to a Vicky or Sarah question. Let's see what we got. All right, this one's coming from the wife. This one's coming from Vicky. She asks, what's <laughs> what's a chore that you hate to do around the house? Oh, and I think she already knows the answer to this one. I hate, I hate vacuuming the uh vacuuming just vacuuming anywhere i hate dragging the vacuum upstairs i hate dragging the vacuum downstairs i hate having to roll it up because you've got to go to another room in the house because the cord's not long enough i hate the chore of vacuuming my favorite chore on the flip side i love doing the dishes i love doing the dishes and vicky yells at me for because i've got to put the dishes or the glasses in a certain spot the there's a certain way that the plates have got to go in. There's a certain way that you've got to have the forks and the dishes or the silverware facing up, not down. So I'm very particular. I love doing the dishes. So love doing the dishes, hate vacuuming. Those are the two chores that I don't like. Although if you're going to go in the bigger, bigger chores, and I just did this last weekend, we had to paint uh, the, the laundry room in our house, but I hate painting. I hate painting. I hate painting. So maybe I'm going to go with bigger chores, hate painting. Don't like to prep. You got to prep. You got to tape all the window sills, tape the baseboards, tape the ceiling so that you don't get the paint there. I hate painting more than I hate vacuuming. So we'll say painting's number one that I hate. Vacuuming's number two. So uh, one chore that I hate is vacuuming and painting. All right, we're going to go back to the... We're going to pick out some ones from the athletes. All right, let's see. This one's coming from Ryan Fink, another one uh, another one of my discus throwers, who we're hoping that he's going to get into the 110s, 120s, 130s this year, and I have no doubt that he will. So let's see. Fink asks, Coach what is your favorite food you like to chew chow down on? Sorry, chew down on. I can read. What's your favorite food that you like to chow down on? All right, Fink. I think I've said this before. It's no surprise. I love, I love good barbecue. Love it. Love good barbecue. Don't get me wrong. I'm Italian. I love pasta. I love a good... Um, Good lasagna, good spaghetti, good chicken parm. But if I've got to choose anything, I'm going barbecue, hardcore. Love pulled pork, but I'm going ribs. Ribs, barbecue ribs, whether I make them, whether I go out and eat some. I love the sloppier, the better. I know some people are like, oh, you got to have it. No, I just, just slather them. Give me the best barbecue sauce, whatever. Slather them up. The I want them dripping. I want, by the time I'm done with my barbecue, I mean, my face is covered. Forget just, I mean, I, I need the hose. Somebody hose me down afterwards. 
That's how messy I want to get from Good Barbecue. I love it. Nothing beats Good Barbecue on a nice, warm, hot summer day outside with friends, with family. Good Barbecue. Can't beat it. Nothing better. So I love spaghetti, but barbecue is my favorite food to chow down on. All right, we're going to go back to the text. So this will be a Sarah or Vicky question. Let's see. I'm going to scroll down, scroll down here. All right, this one. Well, I guess we did we did the wife. We did Vicky before. So we're going to do a question from Sarah, my daughter. What or if you could only travel to one place every year, where would it be? <laughs> if I could travel to one place every year, that's a tough one. Because I guess it would depend on the time of year. I mean, obviously, if it's winter, you want to go somewhere warm. I know we've gone traveling quite a bit. Uh, we've gone to uh, last couple months ago, we were able to do a family trip to Jamaica um, over winter break. Um, Vicky and I, for our honeymoon, we went to Dominican, which again was fantastic. Jamaica was awesome. All-inclusive resorts, which I love those. Uh, we've gotten a chance a couple of years ago as a family, we did an overseas trip where we did Switzerland and um, Amsterdam, which again was outstanding. One trip, though, one place, if I could only travel one place every year, and I'm actually doing this trip, uh, my wife and I, Vicki, we're going at the end of the school year, we're going to a bucket list trip of mine, and, and I guess I'm going to answer it this way, is Italy. I've always, I mean, I have a lot of family there um, that I haven't met, some that I have met, some that I haven't met, but it's a bucket list trip where I've always wanted to go to Italy and Vicky and I are going to Italy this summer. We're leaving end of June. We're going to stay there for 10, 12 days, and it is going to be amazing. So we're doing Rome. We're doing Milan. We're doing um, Florence. We're doing Cinque Terre. I can't wait. I think it's going to be outstanding. So without actually going there yet, I'm saying if I can only go every year, I'm going to Italy. Um, I'm so looking forward to it. I cannot wait for that trip. So that was question number four. Thank you, Sarah. Now question number five. We're going back to the athletes. Let me pick a good one here. Back to the athletes. All right. All right. This one's coming from Aaron. Aaron Donilon. Aaron, my shot put thrower. Captain of the throwers. Um... She's a senior. She's she's looking to win an NFL title this year in shot put, and I know she will. Ooh. <laughs> All right. This is this is a good one. And this is this will be a quick one, and I think this will be a good one to end on. What is your favorite movie? What is your favorite, oh, I'm sorry, not favorite movie, favorite feel-good movie. Favorite feel-good movie. So a movie that gets that puts you in a good mood, I'm taking that as. Favorite feel-good movie. 
movie that always puts a smile on my face. Hmm. That's funny, because my, my favorite movie, I guess, you know, one of my favorite movies that comes to mind that I was going to say until I saw a favorite feel-good movie was going to be The Godfather, but I don't think that's a feel-good movie. That's not putting a smile on your face. Um, Favorite feel-good movie? Hmm. Um, you know what? I'm going to say, we'll stay with the sporting. I'm going to say Rudy. I'm going to say Rudy. You just can't help but have a big smile on your face at the end of that movie. Just seeing what all the hard work that he did, all the perseverance that he pushed through, you can't help. And again, it was it's a story about he he was wasn't the best player at all on the team. Wasn't a starter, wasn't a backup, wasn't third string. We're talking practice squad, walk on, didn't. Nobody wanted him walk on. And to see the fact that he was able to get into a game, even if it was for two or three plays, one or two plays, whatever it was, just the fact that his hard work paid off. In He had every reason to quit and didn't. You just can't help but tear up and feel good and feel like, talk about confidence, feel like that you can't set the world on fire after that movie. I love it. It always puts a smile on my face. It can always cheer me up. So I'm going with Rudy. All right, so we're going to end things there. I want to thank everybody for, I want to thank Vicky and Sarah for giving me some hot seat questions. I want to thank my athletes for giving the hot seat questions, especially Jess Aaron and Ryan, whose questions made it onto the episode. So thank you guys all. Thank you for listening to the first solo edition of at stories from the sidelines next week. Matt will be joining me again. Hopefully we'll have a guest again. If you'd like to be a guest on our episode on any of our episode, please send me an instant message on Facebook at stories from the sidelines. And we'll get you on here. As always, check out our Facebook page. Check out our Instagram at Stories from the Sidelines. And we will see you next week for another exciting episode of Stories from the Sidelines.